Church podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching a message from Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, and the message is called, Blessed are the Persecuted. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Father, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus, and we are thankful, Lord, for that access, and we're thankful for your word this morning, and so I pray for uh, hearts that would understand today the scriptures and what you're teaching, but that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, and that you would instruct our hearts and change us, Lord, and bring us to uh, a clear view and a knowledge of Jesus and the gospel that saves, and what this life means, and Lord, open our eyes. Teach us, Lord. Do only what you can do, and help us to submit and surrender and follow you and obey and and respond in in repentance and obedience and faith, Lord. Help your church today uh, to be strengthened and encouraged and equipped for every good work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are, we are going to get into the Word uh, here. We're going to cover the last Beatitude um, in our series on the Beatitudes, in the larger series going through Matthew. So after this, we'll just keep on going right through Matthew 5, and it'll be a bit. But let me just make two other announcements that I didn't want to include in the other ones, because when you have so many, you know, you can drown them out a little bit. So here's two other announcements. One is next, thir- on the 13th, no, that would actually be the 12th, so Saturday, this coming Saturday, right here, we want you all to come back for a night of worship and prayer, okay? It's just, it's just going to be a simple evening. We're going to do acoustic worship, and we're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to pray for a lot of things that are, in, that we're, that are needing to be prayed for right now. We need to petition the Lord for things that are happening in our state. We need to petition the Lord for the building project that we have. I mean, the, the reality is, is without the Lord, we'll be a homeless church in a year. And so we need the Lord to come through on that. We don't believe he's going to allow us to do that, but God could, whatever he wants to do, right? Just refine us and help us to trust. And so we, we're going to come together and pray for that. We'll pray for uh, sick. We'll pray for um, whatever else the Lord leads us, but come to it. All right, come. Who's coming next Saturday? All of you should be raising your hands. (laughs) Come next Saturday. Why would we not? I just want to just lay that out there. The prayer meeting is the least attended meeting in churches today. It is a shame. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm saying it is a shame. So I hope you'll come. I hope you'll come. Let's fellowship together. Let's seek the Lord. Let's trust him that that he'll move, that he will do a great work in our midst. Um... We actually have childcare for that. Did I leave that out? <laughs> so we're going to offer childcare for that. So if you're like, I can't come because my kids won't stop yelling at me when I'm trying to pray. Well, we're going to try to help you with that. All right. So we have a certain age group. We're not, not all kids. I think zero to five years old is what we figured. So just the young kids that have a hard time sitting through quiet because we do want it to be a time of intimate prayer. All right. On the same note, Mike Whitney, go ahead, raise your hand, brother. Mike Whitney, everybody look at Mike. Do you feel awkward, Mike? No, okay. Uh, Mike has said also in in the same vein of thought, really 
he called me yesterday and said it was laid on him and his wife's heart as they were thinking about this bill, LD 1619, which you guys know. If you haven't heard of it, then you're living under a rock. Um, but the state is trying to pass a bill to legalize full-term abortion. We know that as Christians, we should stand against all abortion. But this is what's being deliberated right now in the, ca- in the state, state house, and the decision is going to be made soon. So Mike wants to come together beginning this afternoon when church is over till 1 o'clock. He's going to be praying specifically about that bill in the room all the way down on the left. And then on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Mike's going to be here from 6 to 7 for the same thing. Same, we're going to pray for that. So those windows are open. Those blocks of prayer are open for anybody who wants to come to this room during those times. So that's starting today after church, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. That's in the evening, 6 to 7 p.m. You got that? All right. That's it. Good. Announcements are done. Now we can get into the word. You guys sound lively today. Whoo, man, this is awesome. And it's not a very exciting message either. So by the end of it, you guys are going to, oh, man. Um, This is good. Holy Spirit, help us. All right. We've come to the end of the Beatitudes. And they have been a mix of all sorts of really good application A lot of things for us to really consider about our life and the kingdom mindset. But this is the, this was really the opening of a larger sermon, right? You guys know this. The Sermon on the Mount was Jesus, his most famous sermon, the most famous sermon in all of all of history. And this is how he chose to begin it with these blessings, these pronouncements of blessings and attitudes. The attitudes of the kingdom is what we've really been looking at. The blessings have been pronounced over the church at this point. It's clear that the kingdom is not to be like this world. You read the Beatitudes and you read uh, just at face value and you're hearing things that are not like this world. They are otherworldly. And so the people of the kingdom, the people who belong to that kingdom and are under the rule of this king, Jesus, who's pronouncing these Beatitudes, are also to behave like the king requests. And we're not to be like the people of the world. How could we be? How could we, as kingdom people, continue on and live like the world if we truly are kingdom people? The king, Jesus Christ, has come and he has called all men everywhere to repent of sin and follow him. That's a different life. That's that's a radical change. That's something that he's called all, all men, all mankind to. So Jesus has done this. Salvation by faith in Christ Jesus is the only way into that kingdom. So we think about these kingdom attitudes, these kingdom mindsets. How do I, how do, I do that? It's only through Jesus. If you're here today and you're, and you're seeking a, a different life and you want something changed and you've got, you've, you're, you're just ensnared, you're ensnared to sin in the world Scripture says that the only way is through Jesus Christ. You come under his kingship and you actually become a member of a different kingdom. A citizenship that is not of this world but is heavenly and is eternal. And the way into that is through Jesus. And so he's given us the entryway. He's given us the attitudes that we should be able to see in our life if we are truly kingdom people. That's what the Beatitudes really are. And so with that, we become new people. A new heart, new desires, new hungers and thirsts. 
a heart of mercy and purity and being meek towards others, these things that we've read and learned about so far. People who mourn over our sin, knowing that it's only by grace that we have been saved. So knowing that it's by grace, we then can mourn over our sin. There's a true sorrow, but not a sorrow that leads to just no regret, but a sorrow that is full of repentance and leads us to a true change. But the star of this section, you've probably noticed, the star of this sermon of Jesus as he opens these words is the blessedness. Isn't that amazing how many times he repeats it? Blessed, blessed, blessed. Blessed are those, blessed are those. And so the blessedness of the kingdom. We are the blessed in God. You and I, Christians, followers of Christ, are blessed because Jesus, who is our righteousness and freedom, has revealed himself to us. He has showed us the way. Because of Christ, we have comfort in our sorrow. Because of Christ, we have an inheritance. We have mercy. We have the ability to see God in every circumstance, including trials. Through Christ, we have that ability. And true soul satisfaction as we hunger and thirst after righteousness. These are ours in Christ. We are blessed. And it's not because life is good all the time. It's not because life is good. Blessing doesn't come just from good circumstances according to the gospel. We are blessed because our hearts have been cleansed of sin. Because we have been cleansed and we now walk through this very brief life. We walk through it in him. In a savior. He is good. And in the end, guess what we get? We get God. We get him. That's the blessing. That when this is all over, we get to be with God in person forever. But on this road, there's going to be opposition to the cause of Christ. And so it's very fitting that Jesus ends the Beatitudes with probably one of the most difficult to grasp of all of them. That on this life of blessing, there is severe opposition. It varies, and we'll talk about that a little bit as we go through this sermon, but to just know that on this road of salvation, of redemption, this road of walking with Jesus, there is opposition to the cause of Christ. And so that's our subject today, the opposition that the church faces. And this opposition is called persecution. And that's what we're talking about today. So like the other Beatitudes, Jesus tells us that there is blessing in persecution. That's hard for the natural man to grasp. It is a reality, though, according to Scripture, and I think this is why it's the most confusing of all of them, because I don't know anyone, except for very odd people, who find blessing, outward blessing, in the persecution while it's happening. So the blessing is hidden. There's blessing because of the truth. There's blessing because of the why we are persecuted and the ultimate outcome of those who are persecuted. That's where the blessing is. I don't know very many people who just find joy in being persecuted or find blessing there. So the blessing is not in the persecution itself, but in the why and in the ultimate outcome. Keep that in mind. I'll say it again. The blessing in Christian persecution is in the why we are being persecuted, in the ultimate outcome, and in remembering those who have gone before us. That's where we find, that's where we can find that there is blessing in the persecution that comes. Let's look at verse 10 together. 
Here's what he says. So Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So just talk about persecution for a moment. What does it mean? The word persecute means harassment, trouble, mistreatment on account of something. All right? It's to be mistreated, harassed, or troubled on account of something. It can also carry the meaning of causing someone to be put to flight or driven away. So when persecution comes, we've seen things like this. It's it's a severe harassment. There's varying degrees of what persecution looks like. Persecution doesn't always lead to death. So we often talk about the persecuted church, and we when we think about the persecuted church, we think of extreme, and that is we should be we should include those people in our prayers every time we think of this. Because it is real. This bubble of, of American culture is, it, we, we have to try very hard to see other cultures and other realities. And, and if you don't ever do that, you're missing an entire piece and reality of what Christianity is. Christianity is, it is worldwide. It's, it's the nations. It's every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Now, some of you have experienced Persecution. And I mean somewhere on that scale of harassment, being troubled, being mistreated because or on account of Christ. Now, the argument can be made that plenty of other people besides Christians have been persecuted throughout the centuries. Is that true? Yes. Persecution is not owned by Christians, but there is Christian persecution. There are other people, and I've had that talk, and if you've argued with or talked with other people, they may bring that up. Well, what about all of these other people who have been mistreated that aren't Christians? What about the massacres that have happened to non-Christian people? We shouldn't think any less of that. That is equally as tragic from a human perspective because life is valuable and we don't want the massacre of any people. Right, so that's 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 a blanket. We need to blanket the our view of this in, in that the the imago dei, the image of God. People are valuable. Persecution and harassment of any kind, Christians should hate. We should hate that. So others have been persecuted. Other groups throughout the centuries. That is true, but none of those carry the same blessing. It is only the Christian persecuted who have this blessing. So there is a uniqueness, there is a difference, and that is something that is glorious only to the church of Jesus Christ, to God's people. And that's according to God and his word. Not all persecution carries the same kind of blessing with it. Now, others can be persecuted and be stronger for it, more resilient. A persecuted people, even outside of Christ, can develop a resilience. A persecuted people can learn what people of comfort may never learn because they've gone through trials. But that's not the blessing. None of those things are the ultimate blessing. It's only those persecuted for righteousness' sake that are blessed. So Jesus inserts that clause. It is those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake that are blessed. And the reason for this blessing is because their life is under this banner that he gives us. What is that banner? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the, blessed, the blessing is for those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for they get heaven 
Heaven is theirs. It belongs to them. That's the banner over the righteous. It just constantly exists over those who are righteous in Christ. You're headed for heaven. Heaven is your home. You're going to get there. He is going to persevere through you no matter the trial that you face. If you, are his, if you are in Christ, you are his, and he will never let you go. So that's an amazing comfort, is it not, to just think through this already, just to think, if I'm righteous in Christ through his shed blood, not my merits, but his merits, this is over me. And even if I am persecuted, I have this blessing. Heaven is mine because of Jesus Christ. That's worth holding on to. Now, you might have noticed, but the second half of this beatitude is actually exactly the same as the second half of the first beatitude. Did you guys pick that out? Look at verse 3 with me. Go back to where we were. The beginning of the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there at the beginning of the Beatitudes, that's the blessing, that the poor in spirit get the kingdom of heaven. And here at the other end, it is blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that interesting? That he includes that same pronouncement of blessing or the reason for that blessing on both of those. There is a marked blessing for the spiritually poor who have been shown their depravity and their need for God. That person who has been humbled and shown God's greatness in light of our depravity can even in their poverty rejoice in the riches of God. Can rejoice that heaven is ours even though we have nothing. He's given us everything. He is everything. So we are poor and the poor in spirit get heaven. Not because we can afford it, but because Christ paid for it. He bought it. It's ours That's an amazing blessing. We see this idea of lowliness combined with exaltation. And that's all through the scriptures. The lowly get exalted. Those who are humble, he exalts. In a similar way that the humble in spirit are blessed, so there is a unique blessing for the disciple of Jesus who is persecuted because of their faith. There is a unique blessing for the persecuted because of righteousness we also get heaven, and that is the, the mindset. I want you to picture, and maybe your minds are going to a couple other places in Scripture, but think about Stephen. What did he see in the hour of his persecution? Heaven was opened. What did Paul, the apostle, recount after being stoned to death outside of Lystra? We have an account of Paul saying, I saw heaven. I was taken there. And so there's this, even in Scripture, this beautiful reminder for the persecuted, those who are beat down because of their faith in Christ, are given a reminder, this is not your home. And should they end your life, eternity is yours. You get heaven. Now let me mention briefly where there is no blessing promised. There is no blessing for people persecuted for stupidity. There is no blessing for people persecuted for rudeness. There's no blessing for people persecuted as a consequence of unjustified violence. There are Christians, there are people who, in some sick way, enjoy persecution and so they provoke it. Don't be that person. There's no blessing in that. There is no blessing. There's a blessing. And and how could we do that when we think about the persecuted church who is persecuted by their own family members just for converting to Christ? Ostracized, cast out of their homes in so many nations and places on this earth where it is dangerous to become a Christian. 
places like China. And guess where? What's the state of the church in China? Exploding. Thriving. Though it's illegal to own a Bible, and it's illegal to be a Christian. And, and profess it, and, and, and to rebel against the state-sanctioned church. But that's where Christianity really shows its true colors, isn't it? When there's a cost. But I wanted to mention those, that there is a blessing for those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, not for stupidity, rudeness, or unjustified violence. So don't come crying about persecution if you provoked it with those things. Okay? Not suggesting you come crying to me or anything. Just don't go crying. It's not blessing. Jesus ties the blessedness to righteousness, right living. The righteousness that is in the heart because of Jesus, as well as the outflow of righteousness, goodness, things that you are doing that are because of Jesus in your life. In other words, if and when you are persecuted and it's because of your relationship with Jesus and not because you have poorly represented him, then you have a blessing. If it's because of your relationship with Christ, that means that, let's just, for instance, say you are a poor uh, employee. You don't work very well, right? And they know you're a Christian, but you've never mentioned, you've never preached the gospel or shared your faith. They know you're a Christian, but they come to you and they attack you and tease you because you don't show up for work on time or you cheat on your taxes or you just, you, you know, you're constantly like stealing from, from the time clock. And you come and you say to your friends, I'm being persecuted <laughs> at work. No, you're not. Uh, not, not. Not a blessing. There's no blessing in that. So don't, cl- we, and we do that. Maybe you've heard that or uh, just, let's just be very careful not to take this so lightly. This is not cheap. This is, this is reality. So let it be because of our relationship with Christ. So this is a good time to ask, why then are Christians persecuted? Why does the world persecute? And one answer that the scripture gives is, quite clearly, it's because of Jesus. It's because of the person and the work and the reality of a man named Jesus Christ, whom the whole world knows is the ultimate king. They may not bow to him, but they know Jesus Christ is a disruptor. He disrupts people. And it's not because the aim is disruption. It's because of who Jesus is. It's because of his peace. It's because of his light. John 15, 18 to 20 says, if the world hates you, this is Jesus speaking, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So Jesus was hated, and he gives this very clear, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If you abide in my word, they're going to hate your words. It's because of Jesus. And why was Jesus hated and persecuted and eventually killed? Well, I just want to mention that, that the darkness hates the light. It's always how it's been. The darkness hates 
the light. Unrighteousness cannot stand to look upon righteousness. There is a natural offense of even being a known Christian who stands for the truth of Jesus. And I'm not talking about a nominal Christian who pretends and slides under the radar everywhere, but a true believer in Christ whose faith is you're unashamed of your faith and unashamed of the gospel. That if we do that, if we live this way, unrighteous people will hate you. There will be, at least at some point around you, something, someone who is unrighteous that will hate what you're doing, what you're saying, what you stand for. How that manifests, how that unfolds, there's a variety of ways, right? A variety of ways. I think we should just accept and be, be clear about that, that persecution is not just those who are killed, those who are screamed at in their faces, persecution is any sort of, uh, of uh, malicious talk, threat, harassment that comes because you are a Christian. And I just want to say God sees you. The Holy Spirit, he's with you. He sees you. You don't have to fear. You don't have to be afraid of being a persecuted believer in Christ. Think about who we're with. Like who? It's Christ who has gone through more than we could ever imagine for us and I think as an American church we need to learn to just be okay with the fact that we have signed up for a religion for a relationship with Christ that's going to bring us opposition if you knew that before you became a Christian would you still have become a Christian the answer to that question is extremely telling If you knew before you accepted Christ, and we'll just use the American version of what the gospel is, okay? If you knew before you accepted the terms that you could be hated, persecuted, killed for your faith, would you still follow Jesus? You see how important true conversion is? Regeneration by the Holy Spirit? Not just a knee-jerk reaction Christianity. I think I'll follow this because it sounds good right now. But if I knew the reality was I, would be, I, would, I could suffer and die, I don't think I'd follow Jesus. Then you're not a true Christian. You hear what I'm saying, right? That we need to think this way. Because the Bible is our source of what true Christianity is. We're not rewriting Christianity for the 21st century. It's the same Christianity. The same Jesus. The same righteousness that we should be living So when the unrighteous are in power and begin to see conversion to Christ and these people claim him, Jesus, as sovereign king over all, guess what? The powers and the earthly rulers, they get threatened because Jesus ultimately is a threat. He's a threat to power. They begin to see that their smallness is reality. And so to begin to feel big again, what do they do? Persecute Christians. And you can just look through history and you can see dictators and rulers and powers who have slaughtered millions and millions of Christians. And what does it show? Does it show how big they are? It actually shows how cowardly they are, how small they are that the only way they can make themselves feel big again is by persecuting those who follow Christ. Why? Because of Christ. Because he is God. Think about it. In the New Testament, the Caesars, the Pharisees, they all had power. And Jesus threatened all of their power. 
because his presence and his message demanded allegiance from the people and the people began to follow Christ and so Caesar felt threatened and Pharaoh and the Pharisees felt threatened and Herod felt threatened. They felt it. So what they try to do? Kill anything associated with the light of God. And of course, it is this way because Jesus is the high king of everything that exists and the powers of this world, they know it. They know it. There are unreached people groups. There are unengaged people groups that have never heard the name of Jesus. I'm not talking about those places, okay? Uh, There is also persecution that you can read about that has happened in, in remote tribes where you come in and you introduce this name Jesus and the tribesmen, they, they can't stand the fact that there's another God being brought up. And so Christians have been killed in unreached places. But there are places today that we know, that we can read about with rulers and dictators where this is exactly the case. Because of Jesus Christ and because who they know to be king, they will seek to snuff out and make little and humiliate those who follow Christ. And so we take a people like us or any local church, normal Christians, Christians anywhere in the world, and you consider this knowledge that we will be hated for the sake of Christ, and what do we do? We don't live in those places. We live here. So I want to speak to us as this culture. What do we do? Well, Jesus has given us a mission. Let me just remind us of the mission. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. We have his authority to carry out this mission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that is the mission. That's always been the mission of the church, regardless of borders or kings or who is in power or where you live. It's still the mission. So while we may be trying to figure out who is in power and what's going to happen to our lives, we still have the same mission. We have this mission. This is what we're called to do. And you've probably found that as you consider sharing this gospel and coming in line with this mission, I want you to just picture this. If we, every single person in this room, took the Great Commission very seriously and said, I am going to make disciples. I'm going to, in the authority of Jesus Christ, I'm going to spread the gospel to people here and to any nation that I can access and reach, and I'm going to share the message of Christ, and we're going to do this seriously. If we consider doing that, you begin to be an open witness for Christ to the people around you in everyday life. If you begin to do that, there will be some who tolerate it. You've probably witnessed those, right? There are people who tolerate what you're saying and what you're doing. Some, by God's grace and mercy, because he is drawing people to himself, will want to hear more about what you're saying. Praise God. That's how we became Christians, because God drew us to himself through the witness of, a, of somebody, through a parent, through a, a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, whatever, at a concert, it doesn't matter. You were drawn to Christ through the witness of the gospel, but then there will also be some who want to stop what you're saying. And they want it completely ended. But in light of that, we cannot stop. We cannot stop, brothers and sisters. The message of the gospel has to go out. It should still go out. And who are the ones that should carry it? It is us. And it is this very thing that we're discussing today that becomes the single reason why Christians who openly profess Christ or or witness 
to others the gospel of Jesus Christ end up living a life of compromise. It's this very subject that we're talking about that keeps so many Christians back in the, in the, in the, in the shadows, unwilling to step out into the light and be a witness. And it's because of what? The fear. Somebody's going to say something negative to you. Somebody's going to harass you for preaching the gospel. And so we compromise as business owners. We compromise as school teachers. We compromise as neighbors. As, as Pick any scenario. We do. We stay in the sidelines. And some of you are not. I hear those stories. I hear stories of some of you saying, I don't care what happens at my work. I'm representing Jesus. You know what? That's what we're all supposed to be doing. We're all supposed to be that way. All of us should be thinking, Jesus is far more important than anything else in my life. Christ and the gospel going forth is far more important than my comfort or me keeping my job. People thought a lot more. They, they thought far more seriously about what they would say about a vaccine at their work than they ever did about Jesus Christ. And that is a shame. We should be thinking about this. I'm going to voice... If, if you would voice your opinion and get fired over vaccination... Or whatever, and I'm not, please, we're not talking about that, so don't, don't come to me and talk about vaccines later. I don't want to talk about it. But we can talk, talk about this subject, that we would all be better witnesses in our workplaces and be willing to open our mouths and proclaim Jesus. Amen, church? Are we, are we not called to do this? This is what we are called to do, and it is the reason. This is the one thing that causes so many of us to be ashamed and compromised because some form of persecution may come upon you. Yes, that is possibly going to happen. Why are we ashamed of the gospel when it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe? Why are we ashamed of the gospel? Here's a, a quote from Martin Luther that I really wanted you to hear. Take this to heart. Listen to this. Whenever the true message of the cross is abolished, the anger of hypocrites and heretics ceases, and all things are in peace. This is a sure token that the devil is guarding the entry to the house and that the pure doctrines of God's word has been taken away. The church, then, is in the best state when Satan assaileth it on every side, both with subtle slights and outright violence, and likewise, it is in the worst state when it is at the most peace, or when it is most at peace. Do you guys see that? We could ask for an ending of persecution, but you want to know what it's going to take for that to happen? We have to be quiet. We would have to stop preaching the true gospel and the doctrines of God's word would have to cease and then we would have some peace and the hypocrites would stop and the, and the, the, the heretics would stop. But are we actually in a better state because of it? No, we're not. And we know this to be true. The church suffers persecution because when the righteous in Christ live righteously, evil is opposed if you choose to be a Christian who lives righteously, you are opposing evil. And evil hates that. So you will be persecuted in some way. The church is persecuted because Christians have taken on a new identity that is countercultural. And because of a new identity in Christ, you now oppose the culture of the world. The way of Christ calls believers to oppose any cultural norm that opposes the will and the word of God. So in culture, as we're living our lives and we come across cultural norms, 
and we've just allowed them to become a part of our life and we don't stand righteously, well, that's why we don't get persecuted. Because there's no stance. And so may there be a stance that believers would take, that we are countercultural. We are in Christ. Christ's identity is upon us. So we reject ungodliness. We reject vanity. People hate that when you reject vanity. You ever been around unbelieving family or unbelievers and you're just different? And they seem to be just annoyed by you, threatened, because you're not willing to do what they consider entertainment. Greed, we reject greed. We're not greedy like the world. We should not be. But we also reject, reject idolatry to worship other gods. Look at this in Acts 19. I do want you to turn to this one. This is a little bit of a bigger section. Acts 19, specifically, we have a story of Paul the Apostle as he's sharing Christ and witnessing, we see persecution come upon him in this way, and there's something we can learn from this. Acts 19, beginning in verse 21, says, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. And about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Now, don't be confused. This is the Christian way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world Worship. Wow. See a direct correlation with the Christian witness and the culture of what happens and what should happen ultimately? The Christian witness in Ephesus was bringing light to darkness and idols were being revealed for who they actually were through Paul and the witness to the point that businesses who profited from the idolatry were being affected. And as a result, Persecution came upon the church. See, persecution comes in all kinds of ways. I think we need to be aware, simply be aware of how we are living our lives. Are we living righteously? Is there righteousness about us, the witness of Christ? See, Jesus said that those persecuted for righteousness' sake are blessed. And that reminds the persecuted that the kingdom belongs to them. And so Paul could witness the Christ, not concerned that he was going to be affecting the businesses of the idol worshipers, but in fact for that very sake, that the kingdom of Christ and the witness of the gospel would become the dominant theme and idols would fall. Do we not want to see idols fall? In our community, what are those idols? And how many of us, how many of our families 
are actually maybe ignorantly supporting idols, giving money to idols? What are there areas in our life where because of the witness of Christ, the darkness suffers, that the light shines, and maybe we're persecuted because of it, because people will get angry because we're upsetting the darkness, but, but that's okay. Are we willing to do that? Most of the time when we think of persecution, like I said, we think of places other than our own. We think of extreme pressures that come upon the church in places where it's illegal to profess Christ. But we know persecution is far broader than this. So look at verse 11 of our text. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. He gets just into a little more detail about what this looks like. Verse 11 says, Blessed are those who rev- are, are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, whether we've been through physical suffering for the name of Jesus or not, I can imagine that many of us or most of us at some point or another has had something said to us, words that have hurt, words that have cut because of our witness and because of who Christ is. Words are, actually, are extremely hurtful. It's probably the majority of what Christians experience today, even globally. The, the, the majority of Christian persecution is going to be things that are said to you falsely, thing, reviling, and, and that's going to be the majority of it. And so, what does revile mean? Think about this. Revile means to cast insults in an angry and abusive manner. Ever had that done against you? Insulted in an intentionally angry or abusive manner. Reviled. And even worse, in addition to the reviling, there are false accusations. We all know how that feels, or at least most of us do, to have something said about us that is not true, yet it is said as though it were true. You guys know that even Jesus, though he was perfect, they found fault with him? Not actual fault, but they thought they did. Do we really think we're going to be above Christ? If they can find fault with the Son of God, I'm pretty sure we can get some false accusations. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's okay. They found fault even with the perfect Son of God. It's okay. If you've been on the receiving end of any of this, you know how heavy that weight can be, but you also probably know the joy and the reward of bearing it for the sake of Christ. If you have been reviled, and that very next thought you say, Jesus was reviled. There is comfort that immediately rushes over you. Immediately, because you know Christ endured this also for us. And so there is reward. There is even joy that can be had. That's why the persecuted, the mocked, and the reviled are blessed is because when it is for the sake of righteousness and for the sake of Jesus Christ, we enter into fellowship in his sufferings. We fellowship in his sufferings. Christ was reviled and mocked and accused falsely and ultimately executed for his message. And it is, the Christ, it is to Christ that we look to in order to gain an understanding of how we are to suffer for him and to know what pleases him. So we'll look back to 1 Peter, the text that Michaela read, and this is how we'll end our time together, just talking about this briefly, and then we'll talk about how to rejoice in this suffering. 1 Peter 2, 19 to 25. 1 Peter 2, 
19. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Think about each of these words. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We're actually called to follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, what did he do? He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So, dear Christian, when reviling or persecutions come upon your life, how will you respond? How are we to respond? In the foot, it's in the footsteps of Christ. That's how we're called to respond. And so Jesus can say to us very clearly and plainly in the Beatitude, Jesus said, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the blessing is in the why. Why are we persecuted? Because Christ was persecuted. Why? Because of Jesus. But it's also in the ultimate outcome. And the outcome of our faith is the glory of heaven. It's getting God and the reward that is there for those who suffer him, for him. Those who suffer for him get to see God one day. That's where the blessing is. And this may be out of our immediate sight, this idea of reward and glory in heaven. We can't see it in front of our eyes, but I can assure you that it is held secure for us. It was purchased for us by Christ's blood and sealed for us by the Holy Spirit. You may not see it in the midst of your persecution, but it was purchased for you, and it is a guarantee for you. There is reward later on. Heaven is ours, and the reward will be great. And this should be our perseverance through whatever trial comes. So Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Can you do that? How can we do that? How can we really rejoice and be glad? I mean, it would be one thing if he said, guys, tolerate this. He didn't say tolerate this. He actually is telling us that the way that a Christian responds to persecution is with rejoicing and gladness. If you ever get a chance to read the stories of the martyrs, in the first, second, third century, please do it. Look up the account of Polycarp in particular. He always stands out to me as one of the most incredible witnesses that as he was being burned at the stake for his faith, they struggled to kill him. His blood put out the fire. He continued to praise and worship God in the midst of his executors. So they had to come up with other means to kill him. And he was rejoicing. That's only, only by the power of God. Only by the power of God. Don't sit here and think, well, well, I don't have that strength now. God will give you the strength. But don't think that you'll have that strength if you live a compromised life today. 
compromising today, waiting for your time of persecution, what you will do is you will bow out and you will renounce the name of Jesus. It is those who are in Christ today and who have set their sights on living for Jesus, walking righteously based on his merits, but you've chosen the hard way. You've chosen the hard road, the costly road, because Jesus paid so much for us. Don't be a fool and suffer for foolishness. And there are some who really enjoy the line of fire and never win a soul to Christ in the process. Don't be that person. If you truly are seeking to win souls to Christ and you end up in the line of fire, you are blessed. You are blessed. If Christ is exalted and the aim is his glory and the love of Christ is upon our lips and the clear gospel is on our lips and then you are also reviled, rejoice and be glad because in the end, you and I, we get God. So what can be said to the unbeliever regarding this? If there's somebody in this room who is not a believer and you're looking at this and going, why would I want to follow Jesus? I mean, come on. You just told me it's going to be really hard. So for the unbeliever, if, if what you're hearing from me is that if you follow Christ, that may mean that you could be persecuted for your faith, the answer is yes, most likely. That is the reality. To preach a message to say you can follow Christ, but nothing negative will ever come to you is a false gospel. To what extent would someone be persecuted? God only knows. Again, we don't seek it out. We don't look for it. We don't try to conjure it up. God only knows. We live faithful lives, come what may. That's, what it, that's how it works. And should that be a deterrent for you, if you are outside of Christ, or maybe you're a compromising Christian, you're like, should I actually really live seriously for Christ if this is what this means? What if persecution comes heavier in America? What if it does? What if persecution becomes the norm? What are you going to do? If that's a deterrent, let me just remind you of the alternative. Someone can remain on the side that opposes Christ. And just so you know, if you're not for him, you are against him. Someone can remain on that side that, that opposes Christ and live a life free of persecution and slander. You, you, could, you could live a life never being slandered for the name of Jesus. But it still remains that the only way to the Father and to forgiveness of sins and freedom, true freedom, is through our suffering Savior. It's still the only way. Someone can say, well, I don't want to do this because it's going to mean a difficult life for me. So you still could choose that way. Fine, go that way. But still remains the only forgiveness of sins and eternal life is through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is our suffering Savior. He is our example in that. So let's just remember how short this life is compared with eternity. Incredibly short. And as Christians, we must be convinced of what the scriptures teach regarding suffering and persecution. Convinced that the Bible teaches us about it. But we must also be convinced of what the scripture teaches regarding the reward. The reward is Christ. The reward is Jesus forever. Eternal life, glory, our Savior's face. We will see him. That's the reward. 
We also will see and witness one day there will be true and final justice for every persecutor, every satanic enemy of God. All who oppose him will one day be justly judged and we will stand with God and the righteous and say amen. And God will do this. Ultimately, no one ever gets away with sin in the end. So don't suffer for being a fool. Suffer because Christ is your king. Doing so, there is great reward. There is great comfort. So go into your workplaces, into your communities. Live your life. Don't look for persecution, but be set on living righteously. When the opportunity comes to proclaim Christ, ask the Lord for the strength to do so. You don't have to be a perfect witness or an evangelist or an orator. You just need the witness of the gospel. What Jesus has done to save you. God may, through you, bring many to salvation around you. You may live a life of minimal persecution if that's the lot that God has for you. But don't waste that. Do you really want to say at the end of your life, I didn't get persecuted at all? Well, who did, did you bring anybody to Jesus? No. No, it was, I was just enjoying life without persecution. If God gives you that lot, and here we are in America with relative ease, should we not all the more so be a church that is on fire to witness the gospel to everybody who will hear? I hope you, I hope you agree. I hope you see that. I'll end with this final word from 2 Corinthians 1.5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we shall abundantly, or we share abundantly in comfort too. There is great, great comfort for us should we suffer persecution. So let us be people who are willing, but ultimately let us live righteously for Christ. Whatever comes. Amen, church? Amen? I'm praying for you this week. We need to pray for each other. The topic was persecuted church. Let's keep this in our minds and pray. Encourage each other to be a witness, to not be afraid. If you've been afraid and there's compromise in your life, we're going to have opportunity after the service for you to come and pray with one of the elders. Come up front. Let us pray with you about your faith, about what maybe areas you've been compromised. And one more thing, guys. You can't do this alone. And I'll say again, if you're an outlier, if you are a member of the church, of the church of Jesus Christ, but you're an outlier and you are not engaged with the body of Christ, you will have a hard time enduring persecution. You cannot do it alone. You need the body of Christ. So get engaged. Be involved. Build relationships. We need each other. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for the comfort that we have just to talk about heaven and eternity. Thank you, Jesus, for suffering for us, for enduring the cross for going to the end, is serving us to the uttermost. We are so feeble. We turn, we change our minds. We are weak, Lord. We are weak. We need you. We need the power of your Holy Spirit to fill us, to make us your witnesses as was designed that the Spirit would be our power to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Help us not to fear persecution. Help us not to fear slander or reviling, but when it comes and if it comes, let us follow in the footsteps of Christ our Lord, 
and not revile in return, to not threaten when we are reviled or threatened, but to entrust ourselves to the Savior. Help us, Lord. We need your help. And we may need your help more in the days to come, or, no, or, who, or we, we just don't know. Lord, you only know the future. But prepare us. May we be a church that is not looking the wrong way. Help us not to be caught off guard, but fully aware of what we have called, been called to do. Not to deny the name of Jesus, but to declare him. So help us, Lord. Give us the power to do this. Help the weak. Comfort the persecuted. Continue to give zeal and life and power to those who are witnesses for the gospel every day. And help us all to be that way, Lord. Help us. Give us your spirit. Encourage us and comfort us now. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the New City Church podcast. For more content from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at www.bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next episode.